you let us just bow our heads in prayer. Father, as we come to your word now, Lord, it's been read, we've heard what your word itself has to say to us, Lord, but now our desire is to understand it better, Father. Our desire is to see what it has to say to us in light of the rest of your written word, Lord. We know this is the word of truth. This is the word free from bondage. It's the word that is able to restore, and it's ultimately a word that is able to direct sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would do this th this evening, Father, that you would meet with each and every one of us, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement, that you would break down those things that need breaking down in our lives, and that you would direct our minds to our most glorious Savior, Father. His written word is what we're dealing with here tonight. And Father, we do it with great fear and trembling, knowing that it is not a word that we should be taken lightly, but that which we should heed in every respect. So bless us now as we seek to learn more of Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this, this morning, um, our dear brother Seth preached to us from the book of Matthew, and in, in his sermon, he addressed us with one question that was asked the disciples. And the question that was asked was, who do they consider Jesus to be? Now tonight we're going to look at another question, but the question we're going to consider really follows on from what is happening here in chapter 12. We, we didn't read chapter 12 just for sake of brevity, um, but I'll just remind you of what transpires in this passage. A large group of people had come to hear Jesus speak, and as Jesus spoke to them, the first thing Jesus did was address the danger of the leaven of the Pharisees, the false teaching, the hypocrisy that they were presenting. And as Jesus addressed the, the crowds with this, he then admonishes them in chapter 4, you know, uh, in verse 4, saying to them that they should not be afraid of those who kill the body because afterwards they have no more that they can do against them. Now, we need to remember that in context of the setting that the Lord himself found them on those days was a setting in which the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the lawyers and the rulers of the current age were really the governing authorities. And you can imagine if you were to upset them, certainly it can multitudes of implications to your life, financial implications, implications for your business or for your family's well-being. And... Today's day is the same, isn't it? If we upset the governing authorities, then we might have recompenses that will affect our livelihoods to some extent. And Jesus, as he addresses the leaven of these ruling parties, the, 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 the hypocrisy, he immediately seeks to encourage his hearers that they should not be afraid of the consequences that can follow from standing firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. He instructs them, actually, he says, don't fear them, rather fear him, which after he had killed, had also the power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. 
And the Lord immediately tries and redirects their mind from fearing man to fearing the Creator God, the one who is all power through all eternity. You see, when we have an appropriate fear in this life, we will be rightly focused to conduct ourselves as children of God. You see, if you fear men, then you won't stand up and do the right thing. But if you fear God, regardless how much fear you have of man, you could be the most timid person, but if you have the right sense of fear towards God, then you will not fear that which is much, much lesser uh, in, in approach. And that's what's happening in this passage. So Jesus is both rebuking, but also encouraging. And then he continues on, and he reminds the the, 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 the the disciples and those who are hearing him speak of the foolishness in putting your trust in riches. He gives us that parable uh, where he speaks out against the rich fool who builds bigger barns and bigger barns and say that he will store up many things for him. And on that final day when he's got everything ready, ready the Lord requires his soul of him. And what, who do he ha- who, what, what opportunity does he then have to in enjoy all the things he stored up through through life and such and and as such a result he calls him the 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 fool who wanted to build more and more barns and as he addresses this he also addresses immediately the concern that many have you know many of us will turn and say well okay i can understand that we shouldn't get too focused on the needs that we have in this world but still I need to eat, I need to have clothes for my children, I need a place to live. And those are genuine concerns that people have. And immediately the Lord sets the people at ease by reminding them of the fact that they have a gracious Father in heaven who knows all these things that they need and who will richly provide everything that they have. This this is what's happening in the passage. And as all of these things take shape, It leads to a place where Peter then asks the Lord a question in verse verse 41. He said, Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speaketh thou this parable unto us or even unto all? See, Peter wanted to know, what is the implication of of this parable? Is it just for us here today or is it for everyone? And we know how this passage applies to everyone through the generations as the word of God has been recorded for us. But the Lord answers Peter in, in, in a way that he often conducts himself. He answers Peter with a question that redirects the thought that Peter had from the discourse that preceded this. It redirected Peter's thinking to think rightly about what was happening here. And the Lord says, in verse 42 and this is what i want us to focus on the lord redirects peter's thinking by saying who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season you see the lord asks peter this question and so doing refocuses his attention he refocusing his own question. But the Lord not only asks him a question, he actually gives him the answer. And it's amazing when you look at the answer that the Lord gives. Because you see, 
Jesus Christ, being God himself, knew all things. And so he knew what was coming. So he had actually already and definitely answered this question that he just presented to Peter in the previous verses. But he relates back to the previous verses in verse 43 when he says to Peter, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Now, what we need to know, the answer that the Lord gives is that little phrase, find so doing. So what is that find so doing? You see, find so doing now points us back to verses 37 through to 40. The Lord points us back to three answers that he had already given Peter. He says in verse 37 is the first of these answers. He says concerning this good servant who will be found so doing, these are the three aspects of those so doing. And in 37 he said, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh, when he cometh shall find watching. See, that's the first thing we have there is that that servant who will be the one who is so doing as his Lord requires is the one who finds himself watching. Now, you might think watching. I can, I can do that. I can find myself watching. That's not watching television or watching the newest box set that you find. That's not the type of watching that the Lord is addressing here. The word that we have here for the word watching is in Greek a word that has the meaning of being awake or being vigilant or being watchful in every every circumstance so the the the, the concept here is being watchful in a sense of looking unto the Lord I think that's the first thing we need to consider here is that that servant who will find himself so doing is the one who will be watching unto the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who will keep his eyes focused on the Lord Jesus, his Savior. You know, in John, uh, in, 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 in the, the Gospel of John, we have that wonderful verse as, uh, as, as the Lord um, is being introduced to the world through john the baptist it says there in verse 29 the next day of the first chapter it says the next day john sees the lord coming to him and he said behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sins of man you know this is the lord whom we should look to in all things this is the one that Jesus Christ himself admonished these hearers that they should have their eyes focused on. And think of the privilege they have. They are standing there here. They're hearing the Lord himself speaking these words to him. And we know how many things the disciples still got wrong in those early days. You know, later on as the Lord starts talking about his um, sufferings that are to come, none of them understood. You know, and I wonder how many of us truly understand when the, when the scriptures testify and cause us to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, do we have such a reluctancy to proclaim this wonderful 
truth that the Lord has revealed to us. That He is indeed the one who can take away the sins of the world. That can redeem a lost people unto themselves. Yet, what lack of zeal do we often demonstrate day to day when we do not go, go out and proclaim these wonderful truths that have been revealed to us? And that's why, that's why the Lord says that the one who will be blessed, the one who will be the faithful and good servant is one who will be found so doing, recognizing that he has to be one keeping his eyes focused on Jesus in everything. And focusing, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus means we keep our eyes focused on the reality that he is the one that has redeemed us from a life of misery and eternal condemnation. Ultimately, the eternity of hell where God will condemn those who continue in rebellion. John said, behold the Lamb of God. Keep your eyes focused on him. You know, brothers and sisters, this is why so many of us still struggle with sin. Do you know? Because instead of us being watchful and mindful and keeping our eyes on the Lamb of God, we focus on our sins. We focus on the things that we have done wrong again and again. And so doing actually what our sins are doing, it's taking our eyes off Jesus and focusing on the wrongs that we have done. No, repentance means we turn to Jesus, we focus on Him and what He has done. And as a consequence of that, we naturally turn away from those things that are so burdened and condemned us prior to Christ bringing us into His kingdom. We need to be watchful and mindful that our Lord, who redeemed us, need to be continually before us because He's worthy and because He has done that which you and I could never do by condemning sin in the flesh, by becoming sin for us and presenting the righteous life which He lived as you, uh, your and my gift. You know, this is... We, we so often focus on, on, on the cross of Christ. And, and we should. It's wonderful that Jesus died for us. But you know, Jesus also lived for 33 years on this earth. Where he lived the perfect life. Where he never sinned. Never had an evil thought. Never did anything wrong. And part of that active obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was to make sure that as he took our sin upon himself on the cross, he could then also present that perfect life for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. That's, brothers and sisters, what you and I have as we stand before the Lord of glory. We have the perfect life of Jesus accredited to our account. And that should generate such joy in our hearts. That should generate such a focus which will lead us to look to him. And say, I no longer want to do those things I did because Jesus had paid the penalty. And I now have that perfect life. So I want to live for him. You see, that's what sets us apart. That's what turns us from somebody who's filled with fear. Filled with fear because, oh, I don't want to go to hell and, 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 and face the wrath of God. And because I don't want to go to hell, because of that, I will now change my approach and I'll live a, li a better life so that I may earn heaven. That's not Christianity. That is just another man-made religion where we try and work our own way 
out of our condemnation. No, Jesus Christ did it all. He's the one whom we should watch. He's the one who should be before us. But that concept of watching also have other aspects to it. You know, we should also keep our eyes on opportunities of service and opportunities to glorify the Lord. You know, one of, one of the passages that I find very striking is chapter 16 of the book of Luke, just a few chapters on, and I won't read through it for sake of brevity again, but in this chapter you have that account of the shrewd um, steward, the steward who kind of stole some of his master's money, and uh, when the master found him out in verse 2 of Luke, of Luke 16, he, he called him and he said, give an account of thy stewardship for thou may no longer be a steward he was found out and the master told him bring in the the report so that we can see what you have done uh, so that the day of reckoning may be presented before you but the steward was very shrewd he was uh, very very thoughtful in what he did and he immediately went and he you know the story he went and he wrote to all the people that owned his master some stuff and one owed him four battles and he said let's write three battles and one owed him ten battles and said let's write five battles and so doing he made for him friends that would accept him into their houses once he was kicked out as a as a steward and the striking thing is that in this passage in verse 8 it says and the lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely now not that he had done good but that he did wisely he was shrewd in the way he was going to deal with things and he says this he says for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light you see that's a little bit of a condemnation of, of a rebuke against us the lord is saying that these unrighteous people you know they, they make use good use of their mind and they they kind of you know make cunning plans and for what? Cunning plans to just dig a hole that's deeper and deeper that they will never get out of. But the Lord then says this, And I say unto you, in verse 9, Make for yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you, you fail, they may receive you into, into everlasting habitation. Now a lot of people under, struggle to understand that passage, but I believe simply what the Lord is teaching there is that we should use finances and, and, and the gifts that God has given us in this world to add for us friends in heaven. Use money, use unrighteous money to appropriate in such a way that you extend the kingdom of God. That you use every opportunity you have, everything that has been placed at your disposal to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That one day when you out, step out of this world, you may see many friends and many brothers and sisters that have come to the Lord Jesus Christ because of the way you conducted yourself. And the Lord rebukes the shrewdness or the lack of shrewdness in, in believers' uh, lives in that regard, saying use every opportunity you have. So the second thing with regard to watching there is this watch for opportunities. Watch for every 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 situation that you can find in which you may direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the third thing we need to watch 
is each other, my dear brothers and sisters. We have to keep an eye on our brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility before the Lord in that regard. You know, in Colossians 3, uh, chapter 16, we have that wonder, wonderful verse that the Apostle Paul says. There. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That call that we have to look to one another and take care of one another and to actually go out of our comfort zones to make sure our brothers and sisters are continuing to walk with the Lord. That's a responsibility we have. You know, in, in the book of Ezekiel, over and over again, we see that concept of those who are called as watchkeepers. And the Lord said, if you have not warned your brother, then I will require their blood at your hand. You know, that's one thing I continually pray, Lord, please do not let me have any blood on my land, hand. Please help me to always warn and admonish my brothers where there is a need. And more than that, warn the unbelievers as well. Warn them of the wrath to come because we do not serve a God who will merely turn a blind eye. That is what we need to remember. Our God is a holy God. He cannot, He cannot in any way just forgive a sin for the sake of mercy. No, justice needs to have its course as well. And on the cross is where we see the reality of mercy and justice meet as Jesus Christ bears our sins so that we may be forgiven, so that the just requirement of God's penalty over sin may fall upon Jesus Christ and then His mercy presented to us through His grace in giving us the eternal life that Jesus uh, deserved and still has. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing, the second thing that um, the Jesus uh, points back to in this verse is what we have in verse 38. In verse 38 it says, And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find him so doing, blessed are those servants. So in this sense, we see that the Lord is speaking about those who are steadfast. So not only... Is, there, is, is those who will be found so doing, those who are watching, who are watchful, mindful, and, re and, 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 and you know, re ready, but it's those who are steadfast as well. You know, and when we look for examples of steadfastness, I think there's few better examples of what we have in the Old Testament on, on the Sunday lunch, uh, three o'clock Bible studies, that we have here in the camp over the lo uh, on the field. We have in the last year or so worked through uh, the book of Genesis. And in the last couple of sections, we focused on uh, chapter 49 and chapter 50. And in those chapters of Genesis, we have the final account of Jacob's life. And Jacob is a, is a tremendous example of steadfastness. Yes, he had his faults. He had, all, you know, all, all, all the things that he did wrong but was redeemed by the grace of, of God but on his final deathbed on, on his deathbed I think that's when you truly see what the Lord has done in a man's life 
And in chapter 49, you have Jacob in his last moment calling all 12 his children together, being steadfast and resolute in the purposes that God has put before him. And in his, with his last breath, he calls out to all his children and he blesses them and he gives them the direction of what he believes the Lord is calling them all to be. And, and he, 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 as he proclaims to them in the midst of all that he says in verse 18 of chapter 49, he says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. He proclaims that it's in God alone that he knew that his salvation was to be found. And so we see this steadfast manner, you know, in which he proclaims effectively the gospel to all his children. And the very next verse after he's spoken to his last child, it says that his knees were drawn up into his bed and he died. You know, what example is that not to us, brethren? I want to challenge you tonight. Do not waste a single breath. You know that you may use every breath you have to direct your children unto the Lord. Even if they're wayward or far away, don't, don't, don't be concerned that you'll alienate them. Oh, my dear friends, I would rather alienate my children than see them condemned, condemned to eternity of hell. You know, I would rather alienate every friend that I have in this world than see them condemned to eternity in hell. I would rather be an offense to people than allow them to face the wrath of God. We need to use every opportunity. We need to be steadfast. And it's those who are steadfast that this passage tells us that will be fine so doing. Not only do we have Jacob, but do we have Joseph as an example? You know, in the next, in the chapter 50, we have that wonderful account where Joseph's brethren, you know, he's such a, such a different example to his brethren. His brethren, for example, they, they come after their father died. They immediately concoct a, a great story. And they come to him and they say, oh, Joseph, you remember that, you know, our father actually wanted to come and tell us, you know, you need to forgive the sins of your brethren. You need to, you know, kind of be, be, be kind to us and nice to us and, and hopefully not take your wrath out upon us. No, Joseph, Joseph was uh, um, really, really rebuked by he, he, he was burdened by what they said to him you know at this stage the his brethren had lived with him for over 17 years for over 17 years he had been their provider and yet after this they come and in verse 15 it says and when joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead they said to joseph will peradventure he, joseph will peradventure hate us and we will certainly and, and, and will certainly require us all the evil which we did unto him. And they came to him and asked him for forgiveness. Um, and, and he said, he, and, and then it says in verse, verse 17, it says, And Joseph wept when they spoke to him like that. You know, what a picture of our Savior. You know, you, you, can, you, you, can, you can just see how often do we not do the same thing? You know, how often do we not acknowledge that Christ has paid for our sins but when we go and we do that thing that we so often struggle with we turn away and we, we kind of put ourselves in the doghouse and we don't want to go to God immediately you know and our Savior our Savior who proclaims in his word do you not know that I've paid for all of your sins where can you go but to me you know in the same way Joseph was 
where can you go but come to me? Joseph was that picture of salvation to them. And it says in verse 21, this wonderful uh, example of steadfastness, steadfastness, Joseph says in chapter 21, Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. I will take care of you. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Isn't that a wonderful picture of our Savior? You know, when we do wrong again, when you, we, eventually when you drag yourself back to prayer, back to, to the Bible, because you've come to your senses and you've realized, Jesus paid for my sin. The Spirit of God is so kind to us. He comforts us. He brings us in. We read a passage and we're encouraged. We sometimes move to tears. That's the kindness of God to us. But brethren, we should never be those who turn from the Lord and think, oh, I've been too bad to come to Him now. No. Jesus died for our sins. He took our sins upon Himself. You know, once the guy said, and I thought it was re re really, really quite a good saying. He said this, have you, have you, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? You know, God knows Him. God knows it all. There's nothing that ever occurs to God. You know, when God saved you, He saved you knowing all the sins you would make in the future. I find it so frustrating when Christian tells me, I'm just such a disappointment to God. You know, I just disappoint God so often. You can never disappoint God. To disappoint God, you need to do something that He didn't expect. That would mean that God isn't all-knowing. God knows it all. You cannot disappoint your Savior. Let that encourage you, brethren. He is the one who saved you and redeemed you. Therefore, you can stand steadfast in the truth of the gospel. You can stand steadfast in everything that God has done for you. Now, the third and final thing that we see in this passage, the third thing that we see that blessed steward was found so doing, is what we have there in verse 40, when it says, Be ye therefore ready, also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think it not. Now, we need to be ready. We know that. We know that the Lord can come any moment. You know, what, I, I work for an organization called Sajra, who works with soldiers. We work as missionaries in the British Army. And... Uh, our, 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 our motto on our badge is actually Matthew 24, verse 44, which is the, the, the passage that correlates to this, which also says the, the same thing. You know, uh, be, be ready. Uh, he also, for you not, know not when the son of, son of man cometh and what hour, uh, and the hour you think not. And I, 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 I always strike that. That always strikes me because I think, who of us think the Lord's going to come in the next hour? You know, probably we all expect Him to come soon, but I think we all have plans what we're going to do this evening as we go home. So ultimately, we don't think it. And, and so maybe that's when He's going to come, isn't it? He's going to come when we don't expect Him. And, and so we need to be ready. You know, the Lord tells us very clearly in the Scripture, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world, but he loses his soul? You know, this is why we should be ready. Because nothing else you're going to engage in is going to ever cre create 
as much profit or well-being in your life as when you keep your mind focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we're not ready, we will suffer loss. If you're not ready, like we heard Pastor Derek uh, shared with us yesterday at the stewardship banquet, um, he, he, he spoke about the fact that, you know, those, those whose works will not stand up on that final day will be burned away. You know, Christian, as a Christian, you will be saved because you're saved through Jesus Christ. But Christians are judged by the works that we, uh, that we, we are doing. Our works will be judged as though through fire. And this, this is why we should be ready because none of us want to suffer loss. We want to be ready from wh when, when the Lord comes. Becomes, he, because He comes as an hour when we think it not. Now sometimes I like looking at the scriptures for examples of what uh, a concept should look like. And I think if we think of this concept of what would it look like to be ready, I think we find no better example than what we find in the book of Daniel. Now you know that familiar uh, passage in Daniel chapter uh, 6. You have Daniel actually coming before, before his third ruler. Uh, it's, it's the third, third ruler in exile that, uh, that Daniel is ministering under. It's under Darius. And, and Darius sets up um, 120 princes who should be over the affairs of the government, the affairs and the government, and he makes Daniel one of the three primary prefects over all these princes. But Daniel, it says, uh, was preferred above the presidents and the princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. You see, Daniel was ready. Not not the fact that he was ready for his next job interview or ready for his next adventure. No, he was ready to serve the Lord in any and every capacity that the Lord might put him in. I wonder this night whether you're ready for whatever the Lord has ahead of you. You know, are you, are you cultivating an environment about yourself where you're continually studying the Word so that you may be equipped for whatever the Lord is going to bring in your, in, in your way. Daniel was a, my, a man like this. And so effective was he that those that were placed around him immediately wanted to turn against him and wanted to do away with him. Because his faithfulness, his, his, his readiness, his steadfastness and his watchfulness before the Lord was so effective that it should, uh, sh shone a clear line, light on the lack of their readiness, the lack of their ability. And that's often, we know the scripture says, the acts of the righteous will rebuke the wicked. And that's what we see here. Daniel was so ready that it became a clear light against those who were around him. And immediately these guys tried to set forth to create a scenario where Daniel would be thrown into the lion's den. Uh, King Darius tried to get him out of this, but the laws of the... Uh, Medes and Persians over, overruled and he had to be thrown in, in, into the lion's den. But Daniel's faithfulness uh, and, 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 and his, his trust in the Lord carried him through. You know, we saw that as soon as, as, as that decree went out, what did Daniel do? You all know the story, but in verse 10 it says, 
Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into the, his house and, uh, and, and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now, many of us, who of you, I, I would be the first one to raise my hand when the going gets tough. I find I spend a lot more time on my knees than, other th than, than, than normal. And that's a rebuke to me because that's not what Daniel did. Daniel didn't see the trouble that was before him and suddenly go to pray. No, the passage says, um, and he gave thanks before God as, as he had did four times. So this was Daniel's way of life. Daniel didn't do anything different when this, this, this decree was signed. He just continued with his normal commitment. And brothers and sisters, that is the sense of readiness that we have to have. We need to live the type of life where we wouldn't say, well, if the Lord will come tomorrow, what will we, what will we have, have me do today? If the Lord comes tomorrow, hopefully we're the type of people like Daniel, where we will be doing the same thing that we did today or the day yesterday before, that we may have that consistency, that readiness in life, that every day is a day that we live unto the Lord. So that we every day have that commitment to come to the Lord in prayer and in His Word. You know, how, how absurd is it of us, my dear brothers and sisters, that we think we're so insufficient that someday there's less need for us to come to the Lord than other days. No, no, our very breath comes from Him. The very fact that you're here alive today is because God is gracious and merciful to you. Maybe tonight he wants you to learn something more about his goodness and grace. Therefore, you hear to hear more. But it's about your walk with the Lord. This is our life. Walking with the Lord. But now the danger here, I need to focus on one more thing. Because the danger is here that we listen to these things. Being steadfast, being ready, being watchful. And we think, okay. Those are the things I need to do to have, a, to, to have a better Christian life. Those are the things that I need to apply in my life so I can be more Christ-like. No. No, we need to remember that all these things were through faith. Even, even of Daniel himself. It said in, in Hebrews 11. Now, some people think Daniel isn't mentioned in Hebrews 11. But um, I'm sure as we read this passage, you will all see that he is clearly mentioned there in chapter 11. In verse, chapter 11 and verse 33, after it's gone through the whole list of those heroes of faith, it says the following, Now who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. You know, that is Daniel, that through faith he was able to do all these things. And my dear brother and sister, it's only through faith that you and I can be steadfast. It's only through faith that you and I can be ready for the coming of the Lord. And it's only through faith that you and I can be watchful. So remember, as 
that wonderful passage in John, uh, 1 John 5, verse 4, tell us faith is the victory. This is your victory, your faith. And that's what we need to remember. Lord, increase our faith that we may serve you all the better. Let us, let us uh, close this evening by praying and then we'll sing our final hymn, which is that wonderful hymn that focuses on the uh, victory of faith. Let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful gift of faith that you've given us, Lord. Thank you that you bore our sins on the cross and thank you that you brought us into your kingdom. Father, we know this is not our doing, but it's the work of the Lord. And Father, in that we stand confident that you are able to do that which we are unable to do, Father. Lord, you command us to repent, and yet a sinful heart, a sinful mind has no ability to do so in and of its own volition. But Lord, where you give the command, you also give the power to obey. And we thank you and we give you all the glory. Help us now as we consider these things, Lord. Help us to be steadfast in faith. Help us to be immovable in our readiness and help us to be unwavering in our watchfulness as we keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ every day of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.